You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. Diane Miller, hello. Do you know how cool Diane Miller is? Just to put her on the cool scale. She's top two on this podcast (laughs) right now. For example, so I don't even know how to introduce you, Diane, because I could I could write a novel, I feel like. But, I mean, she's so cool that her and, like, Matt Fitzgerald just, like, casually talk for, like, hours on end on, like, a random Friday night. Author Matt Fitzgerald, just because they're buddies. Wow. Did you know that? Well, I didn't because I technically don't <laughs> actually know her. So, no, that didn't come up in any of our other times we didn't hang out. <laughs> you hang out in a pretty cool room, Diane. But it's impressive. That's a big name to pick up off the floor there. It's a pretty cool connection. She mentioned to me the other day, like, yeah, I just talked to Matt for like an hour last night or whatever. And I didn't even ask you what you talked about. So what did you guys talk about? Um, well, I met him at the Endeavor Run Camp um, in Austin last February. And um, I was having a conversation um, with Jake that runs the camp. And um, we were talking about writing. And Matt came over and asked if he could join the conversation and Um, then we ended up just talking about writing the whole time. And, uh, he was just, he's an incredibly generous person. And, um, when we left, he, um, invited me to, he's like, please send me some of your stuff. I'd love to read what you're working on. And so it kind of started there and we started keeping in touch. And then he was at the Boulder camp that I went to in August. And, um, he's just been, He's been super supportive of the writing. And so there was another Endeavor Run camp that just happened in San Diego. And it's kind of, um, it's an incredibly inclusive um, camp. And there's um, there's people like Matt Fitzgerald there. And so the first time I went, I, I won a scholarship to go and contacted Jake. And I was like, okay, you said anybody's welcome, but do I really belong there? Because I'm not being coy I'm like, I can't keep up with the people that, you know, I see are going to be there. And he said, no, everybody's welcome. And it's really, really true. Um, so I couldn't go to the camp that just happened in January. I had knee surgery three months ago, three months ago today. And meniscus surgery. So you guys have something in common there. Uh, meniscus root repair. So they had to go into my bone, um, which was super fun. Um and so I wasn't able to go. And so we had a conversation um, ahead of camp and because we had emailed. And so he said, well, let's let's hop on a call. So we FaceTimed and talked about um, talked about writing and talked about what he has in the works with. Um, he and his wife just sold their house in California and moved to Flagstaff, Arizona. And he's creating I I wouldn't have said this, but I saw him post it recently. He's creating uh, a running camp that is um, is connected to the Hoka Pro Camp that's up there that he did that um, three month stint with, and he embedded in you know the training and then went and ran the Chicago Marathon and got his PR and wrote the book Running the Dream. So he's starting a camp called Dream Run Camp. Um, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So we were talking a lot about that because that's something that I'm going to go do. You were muted, Bracken. Uh, yeah. I just said, wow. <laughs> Profound. <laughs> I, I want to get right into it then. What kind of writer are you? Because Matt's a very specific type of writer. 
what what yeah. type of writer are you? So I started writing during the pandemic. I got um, long furloughed from my job and eventually laid off. And um, I, I've been a writer off and on, and I just kind of dove in and took it back up again. Um, the writing actually started um, consistently when I started working with Kirk six and a half years ago, and he required a check-in weekly. Um, and they ended up they ended up getting a little epic. And so um, at one point, I think, I don't know, Kirk, like three years in, Kirk was like, okay, these need to get dialed back again to just kind of like a summary of what the week is. And, um, and it was actually a big gift because I was like, this, this all does belong somewhere else. So um, I started a blog and um, it's about, it's about running in life and especially running from my perspective. Um, And then it's, it's progressed from there. I'm working on a novel and I'm working on a memoir and I'm working on a, um, I have my grandmother's diaries from 1932 to when she died in 1985. And so I'm working on a book about that. So yeah, kind of all over the map, but mostly the, the, the biggest thing I've been doing is the running and I'm working, I'm putting those posts together as a, as an essay book. Well, Kirk, I'm going to derail from the start. You, you derail. You're cool with that. Yeah, I'm very cool with that. <laughs> well, <laughs> you said running from my perspective. And I once asked a, a mutual acquaintance of ours who used to be a, a stand-up comedian, what was his shtick? And he was very offended. And then I was once asked, well, what's your style of coaching? I was kind of like, what? what do you mean, what's my style? I'm not like a method actor. Like, I don't, <laughs> I, I'm me and that's it. But I'm going to ask you the same bad question. You said, I write about running and life from my perspective. What is that perspective? Um, You know, it's like I said that, you know, it started with the check-ins with Kirk. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, I guess it kind of goes back to my story of walking into the gym. So I was, I was 49 and a half years old. I was, um, I was very, very overweight and I had not been my whole life. Um, just life circumstances starting around the age of 30. And I had just, you know, kind of one of those things where all of a sudden you wake up and you're like, how did I get here? And I just was, I was in a really broken place. I was broken spiritually. I was broken emotionally and I was 49 and a half. And I just, something inside of me was like, no, I'm not going to walk through the rest of my life like this, this next part of my life like this. So I looked for a trainer. I looked, I talked to a lot of trainers, um, ended up with Kirk and walked into the gym that day. And it, um, well, I walked into the gym that day, the story, and he was standing at the end of the gym, you know, young, ripped with his arms crossed. And I was like, oh, dear God, please, no, let that not be him. And uh, it was him. Thank God. He's very off-putting <laughs> when yeah, you yeah. first see him. <laughs> um, but it was that process of transformation. And I, I couldn't keep it out of my um my check-ins with him because things were just, things were falling away and opening up and changing just exponentially. Um, I had, I had a whole life shift to turn around and it was turning around. And, and Kirk was very, um, when I first met him, I, I kind of, I just had such a sense that I could trust him, but I just told myself 
um, not that I'm prone to lying, but I was like, you can't, you can't lie to him. You can't keep things from him. You can't, um, the only way he's going to be able to help you is if you're transparent. And um, he absolutely showed up in spades and it completely, it completely has changed my life. And so that's initially um, where that writing came from. And so during the pandemic, um, I was just home. My daughter was here working and, you know, Kirk was like, we, we had to dial back these, you know, these epic um, check-ins that you're doing. And he was totally right. And my daughter said, why don't you start a blog? And I was like, absolutely not. I was like, I'm not doing that. Nobody wants to read this. I'm not. She's like, well, you don't have to publish it. Just have a place to put it. And so I did. And then after I had written a few, I decided that I would just, why not publish it? And so that's, um, that's kind of where the writing has been. And then it's just progressed from there. It's like a practice and running really set me up well for writing and for a writing practice and taught me, you know, um, showing up and consistency and discipline and all of that kind of stuff. And I'll jump in. Um, cause Bracken had asked you like, what is your point of view, right? Like from your perspective, writing about running mm. from what your perspective is, what, Sorry, what he had right. asked. Well, no, and you, you outlined it, but I'll just summarize it because. Well, and if you've listened to us at all, <laughs> we answer sideways. <laughs> we totally so do. You're, you're fitting in. This is, <laughs> yeah, this is going well. Three for three. Uh, it, it, is, it is a woman who lost touch with her, her one competitive, competitive side and two, her physical self through the middle part of her life and then began to refine this, this animal inside she didn't know was still there. And then walking through that process since, well, what was it? 2016, Diane, 2017, yep. 17, 16, when 16. you walked in the door. So sort of that journey would be what, what she has like from her perspective, starting over really, I would say, and then everything that comes along, <laughs> along with it. Hmm. And really losing myself in, in my prime. I mean, I lost myself in my 30s and 40s and woke up when I was like, you better grab this back, girl, because it's it's going to be gone. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that first run workout I prescribed you? Do you remember how what the interval was? I most certainly do. Do you remember where we started? Yep. I, I started, um, I live near the lakes in Minneapolis and um, went down to the lake and my daughter went with me. She's a runner. Um, and I didn't think I was going to be able to run again. I had had a back injury and, um, she always said, I think you're going to be able to run again, mom. And I was like, no. And I told Kirk about my back injury and he was like, mm -hmm. okay, well, we're going to try running. And so my first workouts were, um, was it Kirk 30 seconds on three minute walk for 45 minutes or around the lake? And yeah, so 30 seconds jog, three minute walk. And it was, it was miserable. I was so not, it's so hard to remember now, but I just remember I wasn't used to sweating. Um, I was out in public. I was embarrassed. It was hard. It was, um, yeah, it was just, it was so incredibly miserable and so incredibly difficult. And for perspective, uh, you raced the fans' 24-hour ultra this fall, and how far did you go? I I always marvel at you two and what you remember because I'm like, I went 56 miles. Yeah, 56, 57. <laughs> I think. 
beginning to yeah, where so she is his... <laughs> now. Yeah. I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at the absurdity of going from 30 seconds on, three minutes off, and that is disruptive to your body. Yeah. To going, was it 54 or is it 56 miles? I yeah. <laughs> you know, on day one, you would have known exactly what was it, 54 or 56. Right. And now life is so... And I'm not looking to put words in your mouth, but it's so drastically different that the difference between 54 and 56 has slipped right. past you. Right. Absolutely. Know why you should know that? Because I made a deal with her and I said she was taking oh, donations. Right. She was taking donations um, because you have to raise a certain amount of money. Or it was they, a fundraiser. Hope, uh, right. Um, anyways. And I said, well, I'm going to give you 60 bucks because you're going 60 miles or more. And if you fall short of that, you owe me money. And she walked into the gym with, I think, $4 and said, here's your $4. I yeah. said, I'll take that gladly. That's my four bucks back. You didn't make 60 miles. So let me introduce you properly and why we're talking to you today real quick. Um, first of all, Diane, we, as you alluded to, we've been working together in the gym physically for six and a half years. And then obviously you've embraced this runner side of you. And now it's who you've become. Um, and you and I both knew you'd end up on this podcast at some point for some reason. We just didn't know when or why, right? I feel like it was like, when is Diane, not if, but when will Diane be a guest on our podcast? And we were kind of, I was kind of biding my time waiting for the right moment. Um, because your story is in incredible and it hasn't been easy and there's been peaks and there's been valleys and there's been everything in between. But Diane walks into the gym yesterday, and we're talking during our session, and um, and we had just done an episode, Bracken, about, so you're never going to be fast, right? Well, mm -hmm. sometimes I think we, uh, we do a good job with our training Tuesdays. I think we cover the bases pretty well, and I'm happy with what we put out there. And then every once in a while, we, we miss a little deviation from center. Diane walked in and reminded me that we really don't know what it's like to be in her shoes Yeah. in a very, I mean, we had a very, actually, I think a very good hour long conversation, didn't we, Diane, as we were working out and talking about this, it was, mm -hmm. yeah, it was good. And I was like, we need to talk tomorrow about this. Diane took how many pages of notes from our episode, Diane? Physical took notes. 20 pages of notes and listened to it twice. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That is the most terrifying thing to me, <laughs> is hearing someone picking through our words with a fine-tooth comb. Oh, I've done that a lot. I mean, you know, in terms of your podcast, um, I mean, I'm fiercely loyal for lots of reasons. I, I've listened to every single episode, many of them more than once. I've taken notes on many of them. Um. And it just, you know, I, and I feel this, I listen to a lot of podcasts and, um, and this is truly, I mean, Kirk aside, this is truly by far my favorite. And I just thought it was really important. There's, there've been a number of times from your podcast and from other podcasts where I feel, um, I feel on the outside. And I think that that's not uncommon really in the running world but I think this one just hit me because I I've listened enough and I know Kirk well and I've listened to you enough too Bracken I have a great deal of respect for both of you the podcast has so much integrity you're so generous with all of your information and so it just felt 
and and I have enough trust with Kirk now in our relationship that I was like, I got to say something. I got to say something about this because it really, really, it really hit me hard. I was up Tuesday night doing PT and listening to the podcast and I was vacillating between getting really frustrated and angry and crying. Um, and then I got up the next morning and I was like, all right, I'm gonna have some coffee. I'm going to take some notes. I'm going to listen to it again and just see what I hear. So I certainly was, um, you know, in a, in a bit of a different place Wednesday morning, but, but there were a number of things that just stood out to me. And I think, um, this was just the catalyst for, again, it's, it's not in many ways specific to the two of you. It's, I think it's a, a thing, um, in the, in the running world. And I think it's the, it's what, where attention is given. I was telling Kirk, I feel like there's lip service to what doesn't matter and what should be really important, but the content of all of the shows and the language around all of the shows is um, podiums and paces and high performers and you're a monster. Well, you're a monster because um, you got on a podium or because you can perform in this way or because you did these kinds of workouts. And, and, and I think for me, it's just left me feeling like I'm not those things until I, yesterday was great. Cause you guys also talk a lot about, um, I know you talked about Ryan Kent this way a few times about racing with a chip on your shoulder. And, and I never understood that until yesterday. And I was like, Oh, I understand what that means. It lit a fire under me. And I think mostly just to give a voice to the people who are like me in that the premise, the incongruency of the premise of the show for me on Tuesday was that this show is for the people who don't care how fast they are. Um, the, The allure of getting better just isn't there. And I thought, well, those people aren't the people that are listening. It's like, it's the people like me who are quote unquote slow, who really, really give a damn, who've invested tons of time and resources and energy and work into, um, into training and podcasts and books and camps and shoes and gear and listening. And, and we have that kind of heart and soul of a professional elite competitive athlete, but our performance, we can never show you that in our performance. And so I felt like, where, where do we belong in this? Hmm. Take that Bracken. Well, I want to say thank you for two reasons. The first is that we often receive criticism, but it comes in the form of your initial reaction. The one you sat on, Oh. the one you, the one you took a night on. And those are difficult to have any sort of progress made over because they're fired off out of emotion. Yeah. And oftentimes they're met with emotion or dismissal. And and that's that's not necessarily a indictment on them any more than it is on us. But the initial response, if it's prickly enough, the door gets slammed on it. Right. So I appreciate you taking the day, the night, to think about it, still have an issue with it. And then reach out in a way that made it, I don't know, approachable. So thank you. And the second is that 
Kirk and I try to stand on the platform of what you learn in athletics matters in life. And one of those is that you have to be intensely critical of yourself at all times in order to grow. Not negatively critical, but critiquing yourself at all times. And maybe due to our response to prickly messages or whatnot, we've we very rarely had this opportunity to we'll correct messages privately with some people. Kirk and I will, you know, maybe once every other week maybe apologize to someone or try to clarify what we're saying. But very rarely do we speak to an entire group of people at once to try to either rectify, or if we can't, maybe in this case we can't rectify, but you can do it for us. So again, thank you for that opportunity to, you know, walk what we talk. If we say, listen, you can be really critical with yourself and it's good for a girl. And these types of of episodes are going to be really important for us. Well, I appreciate that because when Kirk and I were talking in the gym, I was like, I don't want to go on and be the pain in the ass, contentious runner. And he's like, no, that that's. Well, we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) To be determined. Okay. That's fair. No, I think you need that. Not that that's your intent, but you're going to feel that way, right? It's going to be, if you're as much of a thinker and an internalizer as you seem to be, you're going to come off feeling guilty about many things you say, but I just go on and get ahead of that and say, don't. Right. <laughs> if you feel that way, it's probably more likely to be hitting home for us. Right. And I think that's important too, is that I've thought for so long, I'm the only one who it's, you know, like on many podcasts I hear, um, oh, this person started running late in life. And then I found out they started running when they were 34. And I was like, okay, that's not me. Um, I've thought for so long that there isn't that, you know, I'm a 55-year-old woman. I took long, long, many hiatus years from running. Um, I had weight to lose. I I feel this weird, this weirdly competitive spirit. Um, I've, I so like in my heart of hearts, it's like I'm towing the line up there with the elites and really I'm back in like Corral five, um, you know, where the party's going on and, and I don't want to party. It's like, I've actually trained and trained and trained for the race. And it's like, I don't, I don't want to chug a beer and throw a ball around. I want to get ready to race and my head is in there. So I always thought I was the only one that felt that way. And of course, as I've, you know, that's not a very uh, mature thought and, as I've gotten further and further into this, I haven't met a lot of people like me, but I know they, I mean, they have to be out there. And just to chime in here real quick. So when Diane and I were talking during our session, we meet twice a week in the gym. Um, It wasn't like a let's rectify or right our wrongs at all. That's not what this is about. It's about when we were talking, I was like, I don't see the world through your eyes. I clearly do not feel the things you feel like I didn't even think of it that way. Like how we said this would actually be like, like I said a number of times in the episode, like I'm trying not to be patronizing. I'm trying not to be like, what, what ground do we have to stand on to sit here and talk about, Mm -hmm. about being in the back of the pack? And so the way you were talking about it, I was like, yeah, we need to, we just at least need to make this part of the conversation um, it wasn't like, let me get on Kirk and tell you guys how you really blew it on Tuesday. And right. It was not like that at all. It was just like, you have a perspective I will never have, nor never feel. And mm-hmm. that's worth a discussion. And that's how we're really here today. Um, right? 
Yeah. What I want to do is I want to slow us down for just a second. Just a second. I told Diane yesterday, I was like, you know, Diane, there's those episodes that we do where we start from somebody coming out of the womb and then we walk us all the way up until today. I said, it's not going to be one of those episodes with you. I said, we want to get to know you, but we don't. We're not going to traject from the time you were peeing your pants until the time you're almost, you know, ready for AARP or whatever it is. With runners, that could be <laughs> any, any given calendar week. <laughs> Touche. Um, but I don't want to pay a disservice. I want to set this up appropriately, right? Because you're a very worthwhile human to get to know. Um, not only have you been an athlete and client of mine, but like a good friend and you know that. And so I think, I think knowing you as a human is important, at least getting this, the, you know, the highlights, let's call it up to this point. Um, so, and then we'll get into it. Right. Uh, so can you just walk me through where you're from, where you grew up, how you ended up where you are today briefly, like walk me through and we might ask a few questions about that along the way, but just get us up to speed on that stuff. Yeah. That's cool. It's cool. I, um, I was born in Iowa and lived there until I was 15. And then my folks and I moved to Winona, Minnesota. And that's where I started when I was a junior, I went out for the cross country team. And um, I thought about why I can't figure out why I had friends on the team. And that might've been it. Um, there was no crush. There's no boy that looked real good in split shorts that you wanted to no. chase around or nothing. Mm-hmm. No, because no. that doesn't exist. <laughs> 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 also true. Exactly. Um, and it was the era of split shorts for sure. But um I I had I was I, I had a great coach. His name was Coach Flim. Um Coach Jim Flim. And he um he just embraced me in the group and I was I was dead last. Um I was junior varsity, dead last. And I, I really felt seen though. I really felt like part of the group. I really felt seen. He gave me a nickname. He called me Lady Die. Um, and quite literally the team would be at races on the bus waiting to go back. And I'd be coming across the finish line and just run straight to the bus and straight on the bus. And, and I really credit that coach for, um, not, I, I can't even tell you now why I stayed with it exactly, but something was happening. And I write about this a lot now that I felt like there is this little runner inside of me that was created. And I feel like she's the one that was kind of tending the fire all of these years that got kind of, kind of keeping the faith and holding down the fort um, that I returned to um, when I was 49. But uh, he was super influential. I, I wrote a post about him. I wrote a post about Kirk. I think that, um, I think that part of what I was looking for was a a coach Flim. Um, and, and then, you know, for me, things like, um, Joan Benoit won that next summer was the first summer I was a, I was a runner. And, um, it was the first summer when you think how weird that is in like, in my lifetime, my memory of sitting on the floor in the living room in that hot summer, watching the women's Olympic marathon for the very first time and Joan Benoit won. Um, so that was super exciting. 
the town that I was from in Iowa is Davenport, where the Big Seven is. And she ran that often. Bill Rogers ran it. Um, Frank Shorter ran it. So it was always cool to run that race because it's an out and back. And a lot of it is this long boulevard. And so you get to see those runners go by. So that was pretty exciting for me. Like 85, I think I ran it. And Joan Benoit won it for the women. Um, and yeah, so I I kept running. I ran through college. I went to college in Mankato. Um, got my master's degree in Mankato in my 40s in experiential education. And just really lost my way. I just had came upon some hard things in life and really lost my way in my thirties and forties. And, uh, and yet there was something inside of me that was still just burning. And, and that's what got ignited again when I started working out almost immediately. That was a, uh, that was a, the briefest, that was the briefest beginning to end we've ever had out of anybody, <laughs> but it was also, it, it, covered the bases um, as far as the running goes anyways, because if I'm not mistaken, you ran in high school. Didn't they have a nickname for you? You were so slow. They called you something. No, my nickname was actually Lady Die. Um, there was but, something. You know, that coach was, we used to do, um, this, be, this became important. I was thinking about this today we used to do this run called the sunset run. And so it was from the high school out to this motel that was um, seven and a half miles away, six and a half miles away. I think it was about a 13, 14 mile run. And we'd run out and back to that. I never made it to the motel. And in fact, I would still like to go back to Winona and do the sunset run because I never actually made it there on one of the workouts. You should. And so we'd be running out and I very quickly, the team would be out of sight. And then pretty soon they'd, you know, they'd be, had turned around, we're coming back and coach Flynn would always say, turn it around, lady die. And so they'd all go and they'd all pass me again and get back to the high school. And he would wait for me at highway 14, this super big highway. And he'd cross with me and run back in that mile. And many times there was this thing that he would say, and I spoke at my high school graduation and I based my speech on this. And he would say, it's not your aptitude, but your attitude that determines your altitude, and that takes intestinal fortitude. And he would say, you've got intestinal fortitude, Diane. And that just so stuck with me. And years later, as Kirk knows, um, I was three years in, um, again, going through kind of a, a tough time in life and really at the peak of my running at that point in 2019. And I ran a race called the bluff run and I finished the run and Kirk had wanted me to text and just say, how did it go? And I finished the run and I texted him at noon, one word, um, expletive. <laughs> and he texted back question marks and I didn't answer back. And I didn't answer back because I thought, I was so frustrated and beside myself. It was a super tough run. It was in the bluffs down in Red Wing. Um, my shoes were, my trail shoes were super terrible and heavy. I forgot my headphones and I only ran with headphones at that point. Um, 
the distance was a little longer. It was two five mile loops, but it was really five plus mile loops. It was all of this little stuff. It was raining. It was cold. I didn't have the right gear. So when I rode him back six hours later and recapped the race, I thought I was just telling him how the race went. And Kirk wrote me back and he said, you can say it by the way, this in this term, it's okay. You can say it, say it. I wasn't gonna, but say it. he said, um, I'm really proud of you for showing up and doing the race. Um, I'm really proud of you for taking the second loop because I had said, I'm, I came down into the race area and I wasn't going to go up and take the second loop up the bluff, even though I was registered for the 10 mile, but everybody's there clapping. And I went and took the second loop. And he said, I'm proud of you for doing that. But he said, Diane, you need an effing attitude adjustment. And on the other end of that text, I was like, and I was, I was mad. I was hurt. I was indignant. Um, And something deep in me knew he was right. So we had... What year was this? 2019. October of 2019. Okay, so he didn't tell me who he was talking about, but he shared this experience with me. I didn't know till today it was you. Oh, really? He said, I just had this come in. This is what I replied. I'm either going to lose her or this is going to be the best thing. And Kirk, I'm sorry if I wasn't supposed to share that, but I remember clearly this conversation. Oh my gosh. And I'm paraphrasing you, Kirk. No, I remember that conversation, but I, I had no shame acknowledging that she finished it and then also telling her at the same time that she needed a fucking attitude adjustment. And I left it at that. And we had a weird, we had a weird 48 hours there. <laughs> 24 hours. We did. And I, I don't remember what I wrote back. I do remember that um, Kirk wrote back and said, I know that probably pissed you off. Um, And he said, I want you to take a rest week. And I wrote back and I was like, I'm not taking a rest week. I said, we talked about me not running this week, but I'm coming into the gym. I mean, he wrote back and he's like, no, you're not. He's (laughs) like, you are not coming into the gym. I don't want to hear that you were out on a trail. I don't want you tracking your food. Um, You're going to rest. And he's like, something is up and you're taking a break. And um, I can't remember what I wrote back, but what I do remember is that it made him mad enough or something that he came down out of his deer stand and called me because pretty soon my phone was ringing and I was like, Oh shit. You pissed me off in return. So yes, I, you, you said something back that was snarky (laughs) rightfully so. And then it was bothering me so bad. I'm like, I just need to call her. So yeah, I got out of the, you know, that doesn't happen very often. Yeah. And we really had, I mean, it, it was certainly, it was tense, but it was a, it was a come to Jesus. It wasn't a, it wasn't a fight per se, but I, I laid in bed that night and cried, of course. And then that, that quote from coach Flynn came in that it's not your aptitude, but your attitude that determines your altitude. And that takes intestinal fortitude. And I was like, oh my God, Kirk's a hundred percent, right? He's a hundred percent, right? Somehow my attitude has, has slipped with my life circumstances. And I, and, and I can't do that. It's like, I've, I've come too far. He's totally right. And I remember texting him the next morning and saying, you're right. And thank you. And I'll see you next week. And that doesn't happen without trust. You know, that doesn't, you you don't get to have those kinds of interactions with people 
without some trust being there. And um, so that was a, that was a significant pivotal point. And I think um, it's those kinds of things in running um, that, you know, I think about that and I'm like, what could be more important? um, What could be more important in a race result than that? I mean, that just, we, we gloss over that stuff so much, but that those things are big. And then I went back two years later, COVID was the next year. I went back in 2021 and ran that race. And it was the same situation. It was rainy. It was cold. I signed up for the 10 mile loop and I, I went there as a redemption to see if I actually had done the work that I said that I did. And I ran the whole, I was not in good shape anymore. Um, I ran the whole race with a smile on my face. And in fact, when I came through the second loop to the aid station at about mile eight, I heard one of the volunteers say, here comes that happy runner. And I just thought I did it. You know, I did, for me, it was like, that was, that was standing on a podium and it, and it was really difficult because when I came back down into the, um, the race area, I happened to be on that race. It attracts a lot of fast runners. I was dead last. And I tend to be towards the back on trail races anyway, do better on road races. And I could see everybody. Um, it's a great group of people. Everybody had waited um, there's a bonfire. They all had hot cider and they're all lining the chute. And I can see them as I'm coming through the trees. And it took every single fiber of my being to drum up every bit of graciousness I could find so that I could run through that chute and be grateful. And I high-fived the people who wanted to high-five and I graciously took the medal. And I went to my car and I got in and I, I just sobbed because I realized at that point, I was like, I so desperately want to be a contender, but I'm a participant. And somehow I've got to make peace with that. This is a step one right here. Moment one of what you talked about is I don't think through these eyes. Mm -hmm. I have Many, many, many times in my life thought about the irony of how so many talented people are not passionate about their talent. You know, my brother's one of those people. He's a fantastic endurance athlete. Does not care about running in terms of competing the way that I do. Would be a fantastic trail and OCR athlete. Dabbled in it. Was successful. Doesn't have a passion for it. And you always see the the side of it, which is, oh, if I just had that, they don't l- realize how lucky they are. But the other side has to exist too. The inverse, which is, I was born with the passion for this and it doesn't align with my greatest gifts. And that's like, this is an epiphany moment for me. How do I make it 35 years without realizing that if one exists, the other exists? Something you had said to me a couple of times, Diane, was, what was it when you were in your doldrums anyways? Cause we've had, again, we've had some big wins and we can talk, we're going to talk about those too, but um, you've done some pretty amazing things with running. Um, just not every time you put your shoes on is going to be a home run like anybody else. Right. But what was it you use? And it was so simple. It was like, I feel like I'm in love with running and 
running's not in love with me or something like that. It was yeah. part of your, was that what it was? Yeah. I don't know why that's. It was that so it was a reference to that book or whatever that was out a few years ago, I think geared towards women that was, um, he's just not that into you. Oh, yeah. And I was like, running's just not that into me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I just keep chasing it anyway. <laughs> As you continue to do and should. But it's funny. I, I do write about running a lot of times like with a capital R. It, it really does feel like this separate entity that's kind of a thing that I do have a relationship with that is in my life. And it's um, it's been kind of rocky, um, but we're still we're still together and we're going to be together. And at the end of the day, um, you know, I haven't just fit a lot of the molds. Like um, why I've heard so much of this too. Why would you do it if it's not fun? I'm like, well, I don't know. Because up until even up until this injury and the surgery, I'm like, I'm not, I'm often not having fun. Um, but mm -hmm. the desire and the drive, like I'm, I'm not going to stop doing it. It's like, I kind of know I'm supposed to, and I kind of have a belief and a hope that someday um, there, there might be a lighter element to it. Um, but I think it's knowing yourself well enough too. And it's maybe the gift of being not a talented runner is that you have to find, you have to find all of the gifts in it and you have to know yourself in it. And it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be fun. It doesn't always have to be fun. It doesn't have to be fun for me. Maybe that's not the purpose of it right now. You know, in a lot of ways, people, so many people that have been on your podcast, um, they start running when they're, you know, 12 years old. And when I think about myself, except for those, you know, those high school cross country years, um, I started when I was 49, I'm about to turn 56. Um, but really, I'm kind of a baby, I'm kind of an adolescent runner, I'm kind of like about 19 years old, you know, in my in terms of my maturity, of understanding myself and understanding myself in the sport. And so I kind of think maybe the fun will come later. And actually I have found that to a certain degree in, in ultras. I've, I've sort of found my, my groove there more. Hmm. Well, hobbies are fun. Right. But if the relationship with running is not a hobby, then right. it, there's no promise that funds on the, in the cards for you. I have, a, I wrote about that. Bracken, it's called, um, it's called, this is not my hobby <laughs> and, and it defines what a hobby is. And that's exactly right. It's like that. That's not how I see this. I watch movies for pleasure. I run because I'm incapable of not. Right. So maybe I save this. <laughs> maybe I save this question. Why? Well, because what drives you Kirk generally competition because there's a pot at the end of that rainbow. And I feel like it's the same thing for me. But if you're as competitive as you say you are, and you can't help but run, and your why isn't even an option, like why doesn't enter it, it's just done, what is the pursuit for you? I think part of it is because um, the transformation of myself, not just in what other people have seen, but what I 
what what I have in my life, what my life looks like, what has been restored, what I've found anew. Um, I I owe that to running. I learned it all through running. I have a master's degree in experiential education, and it <laughs> it took me becoming a runner to realize why I probably pursued that degree. It's because I learned everything through doing it. And that's how it makes sense to me. And it doesn't make sense to me until that happens. And I, I mean, I look at, at people in the world, I look at people that were like me and it, it, um, it really breaks my heart to, to see just in our society, how many people aren't using their bodies. Um, they're, they tell us so much about who we are. There's so much information that's being held in there. And the older you get, um, the more story you're storing in your body and in your cells. And and I could feel that coming out. I could feel that coming out that first run around the lake with my daughter when it was just, it was breaking things open. Talk about shaking the rust off. I don't know if there's ever been an experience in my life since that is shaking the rust off like that first run. And I know there's more for it to tell me. And it's taken me places that I never could have imagined going. I've challenged myself in ways that I never could have imagined. And I have my confidence back. I have my sense of esteem and worth is restored. Um, my ability to take risks continue to grow, which is where, you know, risk and failure, I was terrified to do anything wrong or to fail at something. And this has been about nothing but failure. And it's kind of glorious, you know, I mean, there's just, there's so much to learn in it. Um, at writing came back to me because of running. Um, and I, I have a few, I was reading through last night, I have a few different things that I've written about why, and that changes, um, that just morphs and changes, but, but I think it does come down to that piece of, um, what I got gratitude. Oh my God. I, I would say the number one thing that's happened for me in my life is that gratitude was restored. And, you know, once that train gets its own momentum going, you just, it, it's just, it generates itself over and over and over again. And, and nothing will change your life like that. Nothing changes your life like gratitude and running gave me that. And, um, I'm loyal, man. <laughs> And when you say, some people say like, I've taken on challenges I never even imagined I would do. And I have done these things that I couldn't have dreamed possible. And some people you're just like, that is fluff, whatever. You're just making this sound more romantic than it is. At least that's what I think when some people say that. But like for you, it could not be more true. Like the thing, the things you're afraid of, you're like, I got to do it now. Like I need to, I, this is the last thing I want to do. And it is so miserably terrifying, but I'm going to dip my toes into those waters and it's going to open up a new door for you. Like in your life is like a human. And so that's actually, that's not just like some throwaway line where she's like, I can't think of anything else. So I'm going to say it's so whimsical. Like 
there it hasn't been whimsical necessarily but it has been it's forced you to become a different uh, i don't know open more boxes to who you are we'll call it right would that be yeah. fair to say yeah it's been gritty it's been gritty and challenging and it's shown me every single every single hole and every single weakness and every single you know tear in my fiber that i have it's like I think that I'm really disciplined. It's like, really? Okay, well then let's <laughs> let's learn what it really means to be disciplined. And running has shown me that in spades. It's like I I didn't know how to be consistent. Um, I didn't know how to not make excuses. I didn't know how to not push off workouts. And and you know, Kirk, we've talked about this. One of my my favorite things is it's like how you do anything is how you do everything. And for me, it's so true. And so running shows up and it's like, I find out something about myself and then I see it everywhere in my life. And then I level up and my running levels up and my life levels up. And then the new one comes along. And, and I'm just, I'm so grateful that I have a body that I can use this way and that can tell me about myself and make my life better. That's a great, and that's, that's a very popular borderline, I don't know, overused, but overused cliche, right? The way you do anything is the way you do everything, mm-hmm. but it's underused because clearly we don't get it. Right. People, people oftentimes say, well, how, how will running carry over to my real life? How will going to train for an ultra, how do I then implement that? And that's missing the boat. You right. don't have to do anything. Right. Right. Because the runner you are is the person you are. Right. That's it. As the running changes, it just happens. You don't carry it over. You don't have to make a conscious decision. If you can wake up for a run, you can wake up early to, to work on yourself. If right. you can not give up on a run, you don't give up on a project. It's There is no disconnect. And that's the piece that people overcomplicate. They worry too much about, well, then what? how do I even translate? There is no translation. Right. It's, right. it's, it's your internal fibers change. And that's it. Right. Absolutely. And I think, you know, having a, having a coach has helped me tremendously because that accountability piece, like, I think it's, um, it's easy for us to not see what we don't want to see and having somebody who can kind of gently help you point out, um, you said you were going to do this. Um, why aren't you doing this? Um, you said you were going to show up for this. Why didn't you show up for this? I thought, why hasn't your workout happened yet? Um, those kinds of things. It's like having that accountability partner really helps, but then also being willing to really look at yourself um, <laughs> really helps. Something you've uh, alluded to a couple of times now, and I also want to sort of pivot where we're going with this, actually, if if I can, is one, I'm setting you up here, setting the premise um for like uh, the conversation we'll have here moving forward. But um, you've alluded towards a number of writings you've done, like, oh, I wrote something about that, or I wrote a blog about that. What Diane did was Diane had a a daily running calendar, right? You flip the page and it has a new running quote or a picture. I believe that's what it was. And Mm -hmm. she put the ones she liked on her wall in front of her computer in her office. So instead of throwing it out after the day is done, she's like, I like that one. Stick it to the wall. Well, her wall started to get pretty full as in like her new wallpaper was this calendar of quotes that she enjoyed. 
she realized, I believe, one day it was ridiculous, or there was too many, or whatever, and she reduced it down to the 72, 71, how many was it? 71. I can't believe you remember that. So she got rid of the shitty ones and kept the ones that still spoke to her, and then she wrote the wall, meaning she wrote an excerpt for every single day of those 71 that she kept. And so you've referred a couple of, a few times now to I wrote about that and I believe you said, yeah, like something spoke to you and said, write the wall. Um, and the reason I say this is one, you might, you might, you might reference it again. And two, um, you've done a lot of thinking and writing about all of this. I mean, you wrote at minimum 70 some excerpts on top of all the other blog articles and, and email check-ins. So you had a lot of perspective. I'm saying you've like thought a lot of this through. You're a thinker. There's no denying that. Um, so this is where I want to pick up our Tuesday episode, Bracken, if that's okay. Yeah. And it, for the record, I just took my first note on you, Diane. So <laughs> you're already giving it back. You took your first note on me? Is that what you said? Yeah. You said something and I had to write huh. it down. I like it. Huh. I've taken a lot of notes on you, Bracken. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. And she's not lying either. She's also a note taker. Um, okay, so let's get to this conversation about we we don't we don't know what it's like to be you. Which, honestly, and I, I this isn't patting myself on the back. This is purely me and you being together for six and a half years and feeling like I I thought I saw running as you see running because you've helped me. You're very good with your words. You've explained very often your feelings in regards to how things are going. And if anybody's going to see it through your eyes as close to you, it's going to be me. Can you argue mm -hmm. with that? Nope. And I, and I think I do. I think I understand 80% of it, but 20% is a big deal. And I think that 20%, you know, kind of jumped off the page a little bit when we were talking through, uh, you're never going to be fast on Tuesday's episode. So <clears throat> if somebody who feels like they know you very well in your relationship with running still doesn't fully grasp it all, I, that's, you know, I'm, I'm kind of bringing this back to how we started saying like, this is worth a conversation. Um, so I have the first question I want to uh, lead with, with you in regards to this. Um, Bracken and I got stuck talking about, not stuck, but a large portion of our episode on Tuesday revolved around how to feel accomplished, right? How, like, mm -hmm. how does a back of the packer feel accomplished? Um, and you know what's interesting? After all these years, I don't necessarily think I could still list out the things that would make you feel accomplished with running. Shame on me. Like, me and I think. Yeah. I mean, I think I could take a, an educated guess at it, but I don't actually know what would move the needle the most for you. And I realize that's probably one of the biggest unknowns for Bracken and I or any other coach or somebody who takes podiums for granted is that I actually don't know what makes you feel accomplished, like what in training or racing or outside your relationship with it. So this is a tough question to answer, even to ask anybody, but like, Let's open that door first. Like what, um, what makes you feel accomplished or what has made you feel accomplished in the past in regards to your relationship with running? Well, most recently, what has made me feel the most accomplished um, is pacing. 
And um, before, before I went to the Endeavor on Camp in August, before Matt's book on Pace came out, you and I, Kirk, um, you know, I had, like I said, I had really, I had really peaked in 2019. I felt like I, I had this injury and I think it's because I ran that damn Spartan Indiana race in 2018. I hated every minute of it. It took me seven hours. I fell off obstacles right and left. And I think that that's where my injury started in my knee initially. And, um, and I, and I did like tear my meniscus initially had to cross train was kind of at my peak in 2019. And, um, and why am I telling you this? Because that's not what this is about. It was about the on pace thing. Feeling accomplished. Then you said pacing. Yep. Oh yes. I know why. Um, what had been happening through that process was, um, like I had a race sometime 2017, 2018, when I was racing a lot, I had a race where I, I realized I train, I show up and I run, but I don't race races. And I remember my very first five mile trail race that I actually, I had that thought and I raced it and I was like, well, that's different. And, um, so I was learning I was learning how to race. That was a really big deal. Um, Sorry to cut in, but would you um, would you say it would be like like that right there? Actually, touch, it hits home. I feel like people could relate to that. Like you made a transition from like feeling like you were participating or surviving in quotes to you actually went out there and mm-hmm. found a new level of push or actually something. Is that what you're, is that what you're getting at? Okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. And so I, I was beginning to understand what it meant to. Um, what it really, what does it mean to like push in a workout? What does 80, 20 mean? What does it mean to train like that? Like all of those concepts were starting to come into view and, um, then COVID hit and, um, we were still obviously working together, but we weren't in the gym for a number of months. And, um, you know, like all of us, we had no idea what was going on in the whole world. And, I, I think I just slowly, it was one of those things again, where I just slowly started to back off of that pushing, um, and pushing myself in workouts and, and kind of trying to find those limits and really like the, the structure of what I was doing with my nutrition and my workouts and my races all started to just kind of, um, just kind of started to bleed out a little bit and started to get a little bit soft to where I'm waking up in 2022. And um, clearly something big is going on with my knee and that's affecting everything. Clearly I gained weight during COVID that was affecting everything. And all of a sudden I was like, yeah, kind of doing my workouts and kind of, you know, maybe I have an interval where I kind of push myself a little bit, but it, it had all just kind of gone mushy. And you last summer were like, okay, we need to, we need to take this back. And so Kirk and I meet on Mondays and Wednesdays. And he said, your Wednesdays aren't going to be strength training anymore. They're going to be intervals with me. And we're going to start working on pacing. And it all just, it was this confluence of um, 
Kirk and I starting to do that, me going to this Endeavor Run camp and Matt coming out with this book on pace. And what I loved about it, because at the Endeavor Run camp, he gave a talk on pace um, on the book. And he said, this is where the playing field levels, which of course got my attention, is like, this is where every single runner levels out. This is not about your genetic makeup. This is not about your talent. This is about a skill that you can build. And he's like, the person who comes in last in the race very well may be by far the most skilled at pacing. And I was like, okay. I was like, this is, <laughs> this is where, this is where I win. I was like, this makes sense to me. And um, so the most accomplished I have felt recently were these last couple of months before my surgery of interval sessions where I'm, I'm so in my head so much. It's been an issue. It's affected my long runs, getting so in my head that I can't even do them. This ironically, you're so in your head about pacing because you have to think that all that other crappy in my head stuff just melts away. And um, I started to feel really, really, really accomplished at dialing in. Like, um, you know, I remember Kirk coming around the corner one of the times and you're like, you're a freaking metronome. And I'm that that just was like to I walked away from those Wednesday sessions and I just felt so good. And it doesn't matter. It's like, are you trying to dial in? I don't know where those like 400 meters around that block with the Catholic school Kirk. I think they're like 400 meters ish. Yeah, roughly, yeah. You know, to like it doesn't matter if um if I'm coming around in, you know, 3 minutes or whatever it was, 2 2:30 whatever it was and somebody else could do that in 60 seconds or whatever they could do. It's like it was me dialing into myself and perfecting something and I just felt really really good and then I also felt like it was possible um, and again, got cut off because of the surgery, but I felt like it would have been possible to go, okay, now I can do that. And I can shoot for two seconds faster than that. And furthermore, I started to feel it in my body. So after a number of those sessions, I was like, oh, I don't have to look at my watch. I would check my watch to see if I was reading my body right, as opposed to trying to read my body off of my watch. And it was really, um, it was really exciting. And I'm really looking forward to getting back to that because I did, I felt like I felt really accomplished. I felt like this is something that I can do. That's good to hear from your perspective, Diane, because we talked about pacing or improvements or monitor or measuring performance. But I think you're right. I believe that if you're not winning races or you're not in the front half, let's just say, I think choosing to like, like step one, like ask your body to do something and then show, prove to yourself it actually can do it. Meaning like, even if you know you can run 12 minute pace for a 400 meter repeat, like I'm going to say, I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to, my body is going to do what I'm telling it to do. Like it does what it is told. Right. And I told you that a lot of times when the body does what it is told and it did yeah. every time we asked it of you. So it's like, okay, I'm setting a metric and then I'm going out and I'm actually executing, like I'm doing this. And it typically built, I don't know if you remember, but of course you remember, you remember everything. Like how we built one workout, built to the next workout, built to the next workout. And pretty soon we were running times and, and 
measures that we hadn't recently. But I think regardless as to how fast it is or how slow it is, it's like picking an objective and then hitting those objectives. I, I guess it was a piece I never really thought right. about until like, yeah, I feel accomplished. Even though I know somebody can do it twice as fast as me, like I set a goal or met, and then I went out and did, did it. And as simple as that is, um, I think pacing, <clears throat> and I don't know, Bracken, maybe if you agree with this or not, but thinking back to other athletes that I have, like the, I mentioned this in the, in the podcast, actually Tuesday, the slower you run, the bigger the discrepancy in pacing is like, meaning like there's a bit more of a deviation, right? Like from a good day and a bad day or whatever. And I stand by that. I, I do believe that's very true. And so oftentimes you'll see like this uh, peaks and valleys in either interval splits or one workout to the next, they'll seem drastic and they're really not as drastic as they seem, but it can be really demoralizing to be like, well, I ran three minutes for my quarter mile repeats this day, but then I ran 2.30 this day. That's so drastic. Like what, what am I even doing? Um, and so honing in what I'm getting at is like honing in and just actually like narrowing that discrepancy feels very accomplishing. I feel like really? to anybody, very but so. right. And that's what we did there was we just narrowed, like, what was the difference between your fastest and slowest? And we just sandwiched it down and we're like, look at that. Now I'm understanding my body. And I think understanding your body and what it's capable of was like the biggest thing you you got out of that like being in touch with yourself actually in regards to running. It's really, it's really exciting because really inevitably what happens that you don't have to try. I would think this would happen for other people too, is all of that, all of that other stuff that doesn't matter and all of that chatter, it just falls off because you're, you're, you're going after this thing and you're building a skill. And it reminded me very much of how I taught myself to throw the spear that I, you know, I'm standing um, what is the spear throw? Is it like 30 feet? Is that right? 25. 25. So I'm standing back and then I'm coming. I, I, I just couldn't nail it. Um, and I was at an archery range. And so finally I was like, I'm going to go about three feet from the target and I'm going to throw that spear over and over and over and over and nail it and feel it. And then I would back up a couple feet. And I would do it over and over and over until I had backed myself up. And I forgot all of, like, it, it was like being a kid again. It's like I was so engrossed in that. And that's what the pacing reminds me, too, is I just got so, so engrossed in it that even, you know, it didn't matter what the pace was. It's like the skill of it um, and trying to nail that every time coming around that corner was just um, well, there you go. That was fun. I had fun hmm. running. And pacing is power. It, it it transfers the power away from your body or the ground or the other runners back to you. Rather than waiting to die or feeling yourself dying or being pulled away from, hitting a pace says, I am at the helm here. I'm the one in control of this process. Even if the pace is slow, you're doing it intentionally. Yes. Right. The pace that just comes to you and whatever my watch says it says, that can be depressing. But that same pace done intentionally, that's a powerful feeling now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you just said what I was trying to say in way less words and much better. So that that's exactly what it is, isn't it? <laughs> exactly that. Thank you, Bracken. Okay, so we, we talked about metrics to shoot for, and you just said pacing is important. And I had said, forget about pacing. You know, so clearly off base here. And you have twenty two pages of these reactions to what we said. <laughs> 
in the theme of that metrics to shoot for what do you get enjoyment out of what what gives you a sense of progress or progression what what do you have down there of that that speaks to that specific part of of the last episode and places where we spoke on something that was theoretical give us the real actionable piece to that um and to refresh you, I said cadence. I said maybe a power meter. Right. Um, not worrying about percentage behind winner. Maybe not worrying about those kind of things. You know, sticking to, to some of those pieces and not others. Well, I mean, if I think if I'm understanding the question right, um, and you're asking for, for me, like what it is for me. Yeah, basically, somewhere in those 22 pages of notes, you have a section about that part of the podcast. And I'm interested to hear that since we're already there. What were your reactions to when we were talking about how do you find a sense of progression or or what 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 are your wins as someone who's not winning? Right. Um, well, I, one of my reactions was um, I I kept getting caught on the the premise that was laid out was we're speaking to the people who um, who aren't fast. They know they're not fast. They don't want to get fast. They don't care about what mm. the possibility is. And I was like, well, then they don't care about this stuff. Um, they don't, they don't care about, they might not even be listening because they're not, they're not invested at that level. I, I would say all of those, well, that's not true. I don't really care about my cadence. I find that interesting once in a while. I don't care about that so much. Um, I've never understood, I've never understood how helpful, how it would be helpful Um, and so maybe that's just part of it. Like with pacing, I never really understood it until we started working on it and, and understood, like you just said, Bracken, it's like, oh, I'm in charge and I can be in charge. Like this just isn't up to, um, the luck of the day or, um, if my legs feel good, or I was like, I'm, I'm actually in charge of this. And that was really powerful. Um, I'm going to cut I'm going to stop you real quick. Yeah. Do you remember do you remember how many of those Wednesday workouts you came in and you were tired? You're like I don't want to do this today. Mm-hmm. This is I you mm-hmm. walk in I could see it on your face. I'm like, "Uh-oh." And what happened? Mm-hmm. We put our I said, "Just get your warm up in. Let's just let's just trick ourselves into it." And you know what happened? Even on those days when no way you would have attempted what we attempted. You're like, "Well, I'm like, well, Diane, no. you're shooting for 12-minute pace on the head for this one." The body does what it is told. Now go tell it to do it. And what happened? You come through right at 12 minute pace because you were yeah. in control. And every time you left those sessions skipping because it wasn't like up I to the luck of the sugar. day. Yeah, like... yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so just to, to add some, I know we're kind of circling back to that conversation about pacing, but um, very powerful stuff. Very, very powerful stuff. And and Bracken, I'm trying to I'm trying to think like before that really came into play, like what um like what I used to measure, like what mattered to me. And I think I was just I think I was just kind of all over the map. And I think I often I often didn't feel accomplished until I got into um something that seemed like an over-the-top challenge where I just really had to Mm -hmm. get gritty and gut it out. Um, because I think, especially when I was a newer runner, like in those first three years, I was really frustrated by the fact that I kind of, 
had all this, you know, kind of metaphorical adrenaline for the whole thing, but I just couldn't, it mm-hmm. just couldn't show up in a performance or even in a workout or in a pace or, um, and, and so I think for runners finding something like you were talking about, you know, speaking to the runners who, who are like me, who have something invested, like, um, there were a lot of things you talked about on Tuesday. I'm not familiar with like the power meter. Is that what it is? I'm not familiar with that. Um, I'm not familiar with what you said. Um, you would a foot something that you said that you would give a runner who. Yeah. It's, it, it's a, a pod that you put on your foot and it is like a, a power meter on a bike, but it's for your foot. Okay. And so regardless of how fast you're running it, tells you your wattage you're putting into the ground. Okay. But you know what? I think I think I'm setting us up here the wrong way. I think I'm continuing to do what I did in the last episode, which is all right, here's my stance. Tell me about it. I think that's the wrong way to go about this. I think I'm not at the front of the classroom here. I think you are. Why don't we just switch that? Forget that last question <laughs> that I posed and why don't you take it and tell me tell us your reactions to it, the things that filled your your anger, the things that you said you were angry, you were in tears, you were these things. Why don't you take over and lead us through this? I can't navigate that, but you can. Okay. Um, so, so you have your notebook. I I, did you just grab, let me just say, you just grabbed <laughs> yes. your notebook, right? So she, she reached over, she, she very with purpose, just grabbed a notebook and slid it in front of her which I believe is the the notebook in which she was listening to her episode and writing in. I haven't had this exact feeling since the last time I had a principal observe me in a classroom and give a performance <laughs> review. This is taking me right back to that. So, um, You look excited. I am. Look at his smile. He can't wait to be. He can't wait to be insulted or something. He is like. I'm not, like yeah, he's got a she, nice. She smi- can't fire me. So like this is. This is nothing but good comes out. Well, of it this. looks like Christmas morning me. for you over there. Okay, sorry. Can, let's let's dive into this. Um, I think. The so I, I took the notes the next morning and, and I just let myself think about it. it's like. What's the bottom line here? And again, I really do just authentically, genuinely want to reiterate. um, This is like, this means something to me because this podcast means something to me. It, um, it, it truly, it truly is my favorite podcast and it's my favorite podcast, not just because um, I'm loyal to Kirk, but I'm loyal to you now, Bracken. Like I've listened to every single one of them. There's a lot of there's just so much integrity and there's so much generosity and I've learned so much. And um, so I was like, well, what, what is it when I feel, because there've been other times I've listened. And like I said to other podcasts as well, that I feel kind of, I just kind of feel like kind of pushed to the side a little bit. And it's like, well, what is that? In all fairness, there's a, um, it's me learning as a runner who I am. So there's a, there's an insecurity piece that I have to own. That's mine. That has nothing to do with what anybody else is doing. Um, But I think that there is also something in the running world and it's in the language and it's in the content. And it's like what we value shows up in the content and the value that I find most running pod- podcasts are 
um, you know, the heavy hitters, the, um, the, the fast people, the people that, um, that we all can recognize their name, depending on if we're in the OCR world or the running world or whatever. So I, the first thing I wrote is the bottom line is I didn't, I didn't feel valued as a runner and I didn't feel like I was a valued part of the community. And I think that's kind of just one of the things that I walked away with. Um, and it felt to me sort of like um, you were taking a break from your regularly scheduled programming to kind of throw a bone to the slow runners. And, and I, it was even said, it's like that the speedsters, you know, hopefully you'll tune in and um, maybe you'll even have a better understanding. And I remember thinking, maybe you'll even learn something because I learned something from all of you. And I don't think it's unreasonable to think that you could probably learn something from me. And I walk away from every single episode, like I said, with like the last episode with Ryan Kent, I loved when he said, um, he said who I, I didn't like who I was becoming more than who I was. I didn't like who I was becoming more than I didn't want to do the work to become something else. It was, it was something like that. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's, it was like I was afraid of who I was becoming more than I was afraid of the work it was going to take to, to change. That's exactly what it was. Yeah, it's the word afraid. And and there's so there are so many things like that that I take from it that I was like, this idea that um that there's gonna be one podcast that says, This is for you, slow runners. And it was those words that just, this is for you, um, low performance, back of the pack, slow running. Um, It was all of those words and they were just, they were just starting to build on me um, as if um, I'm not a high achiever. I'm not a high performer. um, And it just made me feel like, well, then what, what am I doing? And like I said, it, it made me take stock of myself, which was really important because I'm like, um, not to toot my own horn, but I was like, when I look at Diane Miller, who walked in that door of that gym six and a half years ago, and I look at Diane Miller now, I don't know what's more monster than that. Um, and I think just that, just that giving, giving a voice. I wrote through here a lot. Um, Funny enough, I didn't expect this to happen, but I was like, let me get on and say something because instead of Mm -hmm. telling me as the kind of runner I am, what I should do, um, ask me. It's like, what does that feel like? What does that feel like? I had never heard the term gallery clapped, by the way. What does that feel like to know that if I want to run this race because I want to learn something. I want to learn what it's like to trail run. I want to learn how I show up there. I, I know the likelihood of being gallery clapped at the end is really, really high. And so my choices for many races are that or don't do it. And it's like, how much guts does it take to do it? It takes a lot. It takes a lot of guts and it takes a lot of 
um, this is where I give Kirk a lot of credit. I, I built a lot of like a lot of gratitude and, and I, I draw on that for those moments so that I can come through because it's kind of funny. I mean, it just feels like there's these two worlds going on. I just, my experience since I was in high school is that runners are just some of the best people I've ever met consistently across the board in every situation. Um, but we have this kind of this kind of popularity piece that we really uphold. And then we have this talk about how that's not what matters in actual runners who are waiting, lining the chute for me to come in. They didn't have to wait. Their cars are all there. Mm-hmm. They could leave. And I've had races where everybody's gone. I had a race last spring, a trail race, a long one. And I came I came down into the end and there had been fields full of cars and there sat my car all by itself. And, um, those, those times are really hard. And I think it's just, it's not about one is better than the other. It's not about, I mean, my favorite thing in the world to do is to watch Iliad Kipchoge, to watch old Spartan races, to watch flow track um, stuff on YouTube. It's like, I, I love all of that. It lifts me up. I follow those people too, but I think, um, giving kind of maybe a little more, and this isn't just you guys, but giving a little more than just some lip service to, um, what it means to not be a runner like that would go a long way in runners like me feeling included. Well, there are a lot of ways to react to that. And, I mean, that that's exactly what we need to hear coming back. So throughout this, when I say we, I'm going to be referring to Kirk and I and everyone who listens. And when I say you, I'm going to be referring to you and everyone like you who listens. Hmm. So it'll sound like I'm having a conversation, you and I, but it's much wider than that. Yeah. But the biggest thing, the commonality that jumped out to me throughout everything you just said is probably not at all what you intended, which is... We didn't make that episode for you. Mm-hmm. That you identified with that episode and I made it for Miss Space Cadet. The self-identified, I'm slow and I don't care. The first person who ever pushed back against me and Kirk and said, I don't care to get to the finish line faster. Whereas everything I hear you say says that you, and this is going to sound alienated and I don't mean it us versus them, but you are me. We're at different paces, but we have the same motivation. We are checking our paces. We are working hard. We are getting to an uncomfortable spot. We are failing some days in workouts, but we're running workouts. (laughs) We're signing up for races. She's exercising and she is experiencing life through running. It is not a hobby for you. So I know that's not your point at all of what you were saying. You were illuminating and educating Kirk and I and the rest of us on all this. And I couldn't help but think, I wasn't talking to you, Diane. <laughs> Diane, you're a racer. I'm a racer. Mrs. Space Cadet is not a racer because she doesn't want to race. You and I want to race. And it's interesting how I put myself in her box and forgot about the other side, which is I don't consider my fast myself fast. I don't think I ever will be, but I still want to be. And you put yourself in the box of he's talking to me. Right. Whereas I don't think I could be talking to you at all during that episode, other than the part where you would hear, not fast, that's me. So that's really interesting to me. Do you think somebody like Mrs. Space Cadet, do you think she listens to podcasts? Do you think she's invested in? I don't know. 
Because I think there's this tweener crowd. I firmly believe that there's this crowd of people that say, I do not care to ever improve at what I'm doing and I don't buy it. I think they're closeted in their competitiveness. And I think the episode was for the closeted competitor, at least from my end. I can't speak for Kirk. Maybe Kirk was talking to you. Maybe he was talking to Miss Space Cadet. I was speaking to the closeted uh, space cadets. Those that say they don't want to, but deep down think, I know I'm not going to be fast, but I've got to find some way to show myself that I'm improving. Not the people like you who are very out there with, I'm a competitor and it drives me nuts that I'm not faster and not the people like her, maybe more towards the people like her who say they're not, but more the people that say they don't, but deep down are just like, if I wasn't so maybe ashamed or closeted on this topic, I would admit that I'm looking for some metric to move the needle for me, but it didn't come across through what we said at all. And if it didn't come across to you, it didn't come across to a lot of people. Well, and I think people who, who would fall in my, my range where we were just not genetically predisposed to be natural runners. Although I'll back up from that a little bit in terms of um, ultras that I don't think it's just my age. I think I am way more predisposed to run ultras. I think that just comes much. That's where I feel more natural, actually, the learning how to pace because I'm using my head in a productive way instead of um, in non-productive ways, which happens a lot for me running. And um, and in ultras, I, I feel like I'm in my element. In fact, when I when I start an ultra, my mind empties and I. I'm just blissed out. I'm so freaking happy. It's the, it's the weirdest thing. So that is there. But I think, I think people like me who aren't naturally gifted runners, um, there's a, I, I, and again, that's not fair for me to speak for other people. I'm not going to do that. Um, I can be pretty sensitive. And I think it's because of what you just said that it's like, I, I want something so badly. I'm, I mean, there've been many times Kirk and I've talked about this. I'm like, it's so frustrating to me. I'm like, I wish I didn't want it. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'd love to throw this aside and go find something that I'm really good at. But this is, you know, in a, you know, in a spiritual sense, I guess I'm like, um, I'm in this, this desire is in me. And so I'm just going to keep following it and, and, maybe understand why at certain points. And there's days where I'm really groovy about it. And I'm like, I, you know, this has transformed my life. I'm grateful for it. It can, it can just stay right there. But I'd be curious to know if there were other people that, which I think there probably were that responded, um, that thought the way that I did, um, well, I, I feel it's important to say this, to validate what you did say, which is, yeah, upon reflection, that came off as a one-off. That came off as a, here you go. Here's an episode for you. Mm-hmm. And then back to regular scheduled programming. I don't want to believe that's our intent. I don't want to believe that this is the last time we talk about it. But you are 100% right that that's what we said. That's what our intro said. Right. And that is... There is no defense to that. So yet yeah, you're you're that's a valid feeling you had because that's that's what was said. 
So even if I didn't think I was speaking to you, whoever I was speaking to had a right to be offended by that. Well, and I think that was why it was important for me to say, because, you know, when you, um, you know, when you care about somebody, so let's say the running public is a somebody and they say something and you have a good relationship with them, an honest relationship with them, you know that they have good intentions. It's like, I think that's part of the reason it hit me more. Whereas with another podcast, um, if it's, if it's just another, you know, kind of, we're going to talk about podiums and whatever thing, I might just turn that off. I might just be like, you know, I, I'm not going to listen to this. It, it, you know, I'm, I'm looking for like a lot of times I'll say I'll get I'll get pulled into something because it's like this person started running later in life. And I'm like, they started running when they were 34. And I'm like, OK, that mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not what I thought it was going to be. So I, I think it's partly because I do have such an investment in this particular podcast and um, who I know you to be that I was, you know, I, I think I definitely have to own that I I had some sensitivity around it as well. But I do think um, I do think it goes a long way, especially with the name, the running public that um, that a wide range of athletes are are represented. And, um, you know, I'm like, where where are um, and this isn't just on you guys, but I'm like, where are the women who are like me? Where are they? Um, well, the answer is they're hard to find. Yeah. Okay. Because no one's, not no one, very few people are broadcasting that as their signal up into the sky. Right. You almost have to know one personally and thank God Kirk knows you because I wouldn't have found you mm. and right. you wouldn't have reached out to me, I don't think. No. And that's not putting the blame back on the victim, <laughs> even if it sounds like it, but we would not have found each other without right. Kirk as the middleman where it's very easy to find a podium picture and message that person. Right. I suppose you could very easily go to the bottom half of any race results and message those people. You could cold call them, but I don't know. Maybe that's just another cop out. Kurt. Well, <laughs> I'm just digging a hole here. No. And I have some apologizing to do because one, Diane, this episode was my idea. It wasn't Bracken. So it's coming right from your buddy, Kirk. It was my idea. It wasn't Bracken's. And you were the person I was I'm just thinking, a follower. And you, and you were the person I was thinking of the entire time, you and a handful of others. And I was trying to speak to you and I still couldn't. So if I can't do it and it was my idea, who can other than you, right? The second thing that I need to apologize for is to Bracken. Because Diane, I didn't tell Bracken what he was getting into today at all. <laughs> Oh boy. I said, Bracken, we're pivoting with tomorrow's interview. I want to interview one of my clients. It was that short. He said, cool. I said, cool. And now here we are. So he had no idea what he was even getting into. So Bracken, I am, he, I am very sorry for this. I figured it'd be better this way. You don't know how perfect this is. This morning, uh, my dad and I went to play basketball. He comes over to my house in the morning since he's next door and we work out in the basement prior get loose because we're old and then we head on over and we play and as we were doing this we're talking as we always do and the conversation was about because he has he teaches an alternative high school class right now a young men's group of trying to take these wild 
boys and turn them into appropriate contributing men. And they have a basically a spotlight program tonight. This evening, community members come in and they present what they've been working on. And uh, the whole school is presenting their projects and they're presenting themselves as the projects. It's a pretty cool night. I'm going to head over there later and, and watch this. This is the class. I've spoken with these guys. We've helped them start up their own podcast where they talk to community members on what it means to be a contributing male wow. in society right now. That's the backstory. But the point we were talking about is that this very thing, which is as athletes, one of the things we take for granted that the rest of the population struggles with is game film. You get done with the competition, you have to sit down and people point out your flaws and you go over them and then you drill them and then you try not to make that again. And yeah, you might get embarrassed sometimes when you get called out in the film room, but you understand why you're doing it and that it's going to make you and the team better. And the conversation this morning was about how we've lost that for kids not going out for sports anymore as much as that they lose the ability to be self-critical and take outside criticism, Mm. constructive or otherwise, and not be offended or not walk out of the room. And so it's funny that now six hours later, I'm sitting here and just eating some humble pie. (laughs) You know, the crow is piling up on my plate right in front of me. And we just talked about how important this is to have it happen. And and if we can talk about it for all these other theoretical kids out there who aren't doing it, the least I can do is sit here and work on our product here. So it's really actually appropriate that this happens today. Well, I'm glad you see it. Well, he's really got rose-tinted glasses on over there. I love love hard conversations, as you can tell. I I tell that to anyone who listens. It's the best thing that can happen to you in life is a tough conversation. And to, to defend Diane, so to speak, is, and this is, so Bracken, this is the conversation we had yesterday for our hour. It was probably the fastest hour session you and I have had in some time. I was like, Jesus, that hour went quick. So I had this entire conversation yesterday in a sense, right, Diane, we covered a lot of this. Okay. And now I do feel now that it's coming out, I feel a little bad that I didn't give you the heads up. Uh, it's how I'm, so now I'm feeling. No, good. don't. This is great. But nonetheless, um, so Diane didn't approach me and be like, we need to talk. It was like, I was prying it out of you, right? I, you were sheepishly initially in the conversation. I was like, I, I didn't want to have, I, I don't love hard conversations and I didn't, I didn't want to have it. And especially, you know, the closer you are into someone, the harder that is. And it's like, I didn't, yeah. that's why I told Kirk. I was like, I don't want this to be contentious. It's like, I have so much respect for both of you um, and so much regard for the podcast. And it's like, I think, you know, it's, it, it just hit home so much specifically with this one because I, I knew it was directed at me and I felt like um, so much of it isn't me. So much of it is um, just talk about like, this is, if you're a slow runner, then this is what you should get out of running. And I'm like, but I, I'm, but I'm just, I'm, I'm like you. It's like, I don't want to just be relegated to be required to see what this does for me in all other ways. Um, when I can't get a podium, when I see over and over and over again, how important that is and what a driver it is. And I understand that. Like I listen to those episodes. I totally get it. It's like, it's hard to go out and, and do a race if you don't think that you're something's going to come from it. Or you go do races that are a little less visible so that you can kind of get your chops and then, you know, come back Mm -hmm. on the scene. And it's like, I get that, but it, 
you know, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that people like me, it's like, and I don't, you know what, I don't know what the answer is. I think that's the whole thing. So what is the, what is the answer? Because that's a driver and yet it, it isn't a possibility. And so what it's like, I almost feel like what hasn't ever really been talked about is that, that middle thing. And I understand that you were totally trying to get at like, here's what you can, here's what you can do. But it's like, well, that's, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, that's not satisfying. And I don't know what is. No. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know if satisfying is the right word, but maybe what's satisfying is approaching it the same way as the opposite side of the coin, which is how many world champs have we talked to? Mm. And how many times did we fully understand the world champion mindset from one of them? Mm. Well, never. But after a dozen... There's a pretty well-rounded view of it, and each one of them hits someone else different. And so if this is looked at as a one-off episode and we get back to regularly scheduled programming, that's extremely unsatisfying, and it's a turnoff. If this is one of the next dozen that we have throughout this calendar year, then it's step one of a holistic view towards Diane was one piece of this. She's one eleventh or one twelfth of this. I think that I think time and proof track record will show whether this is holistic or not, but I don't think there is satisfaction right now. Yeah. And I, I mean, to your point too, Bracken, it's like, how do you find people? Like I said, if, if I hadn't known Kirk, I never would have had this conversation. I would have just. And it's a cop out. We can, you can, we can find them. That's a cop out. Let's just ignore that. (laughs) Well, I do think it is harder. I think it's harder. Like for somebody like me, I'm not super active on social media. Um, you know, I mean, my last post was a picture of me with a llama. It has nothing to do with, <laughs> you know, <laughs> has nothing to do with running. And um, so I, I appreciate that, but I do, I do think it's, I do think it's hard. And I think what it does is it lends itself. It opens up this idea that um, the running world is, is bigger and deeper and richer than maybe what we're all seeing and that there's something that we can all learn from each other. Absolutely. Something my brain just keeps going back to. Maybe this will probably be the most powerful thing you've said for me today. Maybe you'll say something profound coming up. I don't know. You, You are known to do that to me from time to time, but was simply the fact that you tow a starting line knowing that the gallery clap is a real possibility. Like, we think it takes guts to toe the line and chase a podium. Wow, Kirk, you must be so nervous. You're going to do a national series race across the country with the goal of taking a top 10 or maybe even a podium. Like, way to chase your dream. What a gutsy thing to do. And I think about what you just said there, about you towing a start line, knowing that that might happen and and it hasn't happened very often i know it hasn't but those moments stand out i'm sure in your memory bank that takes bigger balls than i've ever had i can't i can tell you that that's a compliment by the way i don't (laughs) but it just like that resonates with me so much like that battle alone that that what maybe a quarter of the field is fighting when they they tow a line or at least a 10 percent of the field is that's a thought in your head as to not do it and you still pay the money do the training, show up, emotionally give a shit, and still toe the line going, I may have to experience that. Bah! 
makes me feel like a ninny. That's what it makes me feel like. I swear to God, it just makes me feel inadequate in like the best way. Being like, of course we couldn't understand Bracken. Of course we missed the mark with our last episode. Like I've never had to have that thought cross my brain ever and still decide to race. It's like very humility. There's, you know, um, there's action steps that can come from it though. Cause it's like, where did, where does that leave us? And it's like, well, one of the things I'd like to say is it's like, it's still totally worth it. Like what I get, what I get out of this, even though I, you know, battle with that, that piece, you know, to a degree that, maybe, maybe a lot of other people who run like I do don't. Um, but I get something out of it. I I get something out of it. I get, I get my whole life out of it. I got my life back from it. And I still, I still am pursuing it. I still have, you know, I'm, I'm healing up my knee so that I can go do the most ridiculous thing for a runner like me at 56 years old could ever do. I'm going to go to a camp and train like a pro for three months because I want to know what my outer limits actually are. I want to know when I go all in what my outer limits actually are. And I believe that something will come from that. Um, Something even bigger in my life, because every time I take on one of these big challenges, I take on an Everest challenge, I take on, you know, in, what was it, 2021, Kirk, where he, he threw out the idea, he's like, I kind of was going to make you do 2021 burpees in a week. And I was like, okay, okay, I'm going to do that. You know, you take on these big things and yeah, and you did it. Yeah. And it blows something open. It always blows something open and it levels me up to the next point in every part of my life. Like, you know, what's the rising, rising tides raise all ships. It's like everything goes up in my life. Everything does. And I'm chuckling. Sorry. Just thinking of you showing up with your stupid burpee tally sheet and it was just pages of lines <laughs> with cross. It was just like page after page making sure you did every single burpee. And I remember you walking in there, my jaw just dropping like that's satisfying and also concerning. Continue. I couldn't move on until yeah. I, I just had a flash of that, <laughs> those both. pages in my brain. Yeah. <laughs> Continue. Sorry. But it, it just really matters. And then, you know, I mean, I think that, there's so many just little things that can matter that can make a difference. Like all of those people waiting, you know, I mean, those men that ran that trail race, what did I run it in? Like, I don't remember, was it two hours and they ran it in under an hour and there they stand in the rain and the cold um, with their metal around their neck and their cup of hot cider and places to be. And they waited. And I think, those kinds of things, I mean, even though for me particularly that day was really hard, it's also incredibly meaningful. It wasn't as hard and sad as coming into that other trail race and there was almost nobody there and they were putting the food away. It's like that, you know, that's that was a hard thing to do. Um, and so I think those little things about if you are um, a fast racer and you get through a course quickly it really matters. It really matters to the people behind you, um, you know, when you can to cheer them on. What's hitting me, Kirk, 
is that even though we firmly believe that all things are relative, mm-hmm. us missing or making a podium and speaking about that is the same as someone missing or making, you know, fifth from last if that's their goal. Or us struggling to run five-minute pace is the same as someone struggling to run 15-minute pace. Even if I fully, with every fiber of my being, believe that pace, effort, success, failure, it's all relative. What feels like a failure to me feels just as much as a failure to you, Diane. What feels fast or slow to me is just as relative and real as what feels fast or slow to me, to you. As, As much as I believe that, it doesn't change the fact that if you haven't lived it, no one wants to hear you talk about it. That just because I believe I'm feeling the same thing as you does not mean I should speak about something that I have no right speaking about. And maybe that's my biggest take coming out of this is oftentimes I'm like Michael Scott from The Office where I'll open my mouth and I have no idea where the sentence is going to take <laughs> me, but I'm confident that we're going to get there. And maybe there needs to be a little bit less of that and that I we can we can speak to the things we know on this podcast. And when it's time to speak to something that even though we understand the feeling, we don't understand actually experiencing it, we have no resort other than to just bring someone on who has. Now, how often do you see these with companies where they stand for one thing their entire time, they catch flack for something, and the very next thing they do is like, and we also really care about you. And everyone's like, well, that felt really contrived. Mm. Like, It doesn't matter if it's done for the best of intentions. If it hits wrong, it hits wrong. I make that's I think that's my you talked about her lining up with the intent of potentially receiving the gallery clap. I think my takeaway is it doesn't matter if you understand how they feel. If you haven't lived it, you don't understand how they feel. So don't talk about it. And why do we think that we can only learn from those faster than us? In quotes, why the hell can we yes. not learn from people slower than us? And that is powerful too. I wrote that. That's one of the things I wrote, Kirk. I wrote speed and podiums and elite in the field does not equal um, smart or it's true or understanding or it's like you do, you haven't. Um, oh, what's the phrase? You haven't. Um, I can't think of the phrase. It's like you you don't own. You don't own insight you don't own knowledge on it just because you're fast it's like it just doesn't Mm -hmm. work like that which is why i like the pacing thing it's like any anybody can do this part and there are so many parts of running where we all we all can find a common circle to stand in it's like i cannot go i cannot go stand out on the avenue that's going to run a mile that's you know faster than 830. Um, but we can stand in the circle together about the things that that we can understand about running. And I think that's that's pretty important. Well, maybe I spoke too soon about my big takeaway from this. It's funny how every time you talk, I realize <laughs> I'm like, it doesn't matter what your intent is. Because <laughs> The way I look at things is that let's bring on the fastest person possible that had the realest problems possible. Mm. Because as we hear about how great they were, as you've noticed, Kirk and I always dig until we find the fall. 
And we can't wait to hear about what was the low and how did you get back from it? Because it's so inspiring. Yeah. And and I think the higher the peak, the more the valley is weightier to everyone hearing about it and then finding that you can get out of the valley again. That moves the needle for me like no other story. Not realizing that the message we're sending is it's more valid if you're fast first. Which was never, of course, the intent, but it never even crossed my mind that not everyone's going to be wowed by the spectacle of where they were before and after. I'm thinking about the bottom, whereas I'm not realizing, yeah, we're probably turning some people off by bringing in the top. No matter how great their bottom story is, they're at the top and maybe that's not as awesome and inspiring or something to aspire to for people that don't want to hear about the top anymore. And I think it is as awesome as inspiring as you think. I mean, I hear those stories and I'm like, holy smokes. I mean, it does the same thing for me. I think it's just not making the assumption that those are the only places where those stories exist. Right. Because they are inspiring. There's no, there's no doubt about it. Those stories should not need to stop. It's just that there's, there are fascinating stories no matter what your mile time is. I mean, our downloads would show that actually when we have a good conversation uh, with an unknown and we realize it needs to be heard and whether we encourage people to check it out or not, they end up rising to the top as far as numbers of downloads. And that has been proven over the years on the back end. Um, I want to start a new segment of the Running Public Podcast right now. Okay. We've never done this before, Diane, in all 300 episodes. It's called Rapid Fire Critiques by Diane. No, put, bring the note back, back out. It is called Rapid Fire Critiques from Diane Miller. It's where Diane no, Miller r- opens her notebook and just starts pelleting us with her thoughts as she was listening to the episode. Yeah. Yep. No censoring yourself. No. Nope. What? Not Don't sugarcoat it. Yeah. What? <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, I want to I want to hear I, I want to go because if we chat everything out in depth, we're never going to get through 20 pages. Um, but I'm dying to know and, and we'll keep it as light as we can. I think we understand the general sentiment um, of this conversation and it's caused some hard self-reflection on what we're doing with our podcast. Um, not like we're going to completely rewrite the script, but I, I feel like you've opened my eyes quite a bit today as we've spoken. So understanding you've helped you've really helped like even by only covering a few topics which we have really we haven't covered a wide myriad of specifics we've covered a general sentiment and feel right and that's very important but now let's get specific i want to hear it that's what i'm getting and i can see on your face this is physically painful she doesn't want to do it (laughs) if you've sat at home and thought i wish someone or i could tell them this than other people have here. And if you have a captive audience and you're here, it would be a disservice to everyone in your position if you didn't take advantage of it. So do it. Oh my God. Okay. It would be our pleasure, Diane. Okay. Um, so I, I went through this morning and I highlighted things cause I was like, so I'll read the highlights. Uh, Bottom line, I did not feel valued as a runner or like a valued part of the community. It felt like you were taking a break from your regularly scheduled programming to say, not how do you feel, but here's what you should do. Run happy, ignore your metrics. So what if you get gallery clapped once in a while? 
Uh, if people are slow and they don't care, they aren't listening because they don't care. <laughs> they do care. They might feel marginalized. Um, it did make me feel like I have to show something to be worth seeing. Can you? What? I'm sorry. Uh, I'm gonna. Well, we'll ask them. Oh, we both jumped in there. That's funny. <laughs> uh, it said. I said it. This made me feel like I have to be able to show something in order to worth to be worth being seen. Can you just give like a one sentence synopsis explaining why or what in specific? I have to I have to be able to put out a performance in order to be worth being seen. By who? Um just like a running community, a podcast, uh like what I what is worth it's worth me saying something, it's worth seeing me, it's worth hearing me if I can back that up with some kind of performance. Mm, okay yep. thank you uh the language is hard back of the packers versus high performers um that felt off-putting um i can see that mm -hmm. you we're talking about like how hard it is to um step into a race if you know you're not necessarily going to do well and i just put that's that's my racing life. That was kind of the gallery mm. clapping. Um, it feels like the running public doesn't always feel like the whole running public. This is really hard for me to do. Um, the athletes we typically, this is a quote from one of you, the athletes we typically almost exclusively interview are high performers, high achievers. Um, which makes me feel like I'm not, a high achiever or a high performer and that that's solely based on performance. Um, Just so you know, I'm not, un I'm not uncomfortable. This actually feels, um, Oh my God, I'm terribly. No, don't be, uh, this feels cleansing. Does it not Bracken? Like it's like very, it's like adding colors to the rainbow that I didn't know existed. Right. Like it's like, Oh, Bracken. okay. I think that, very rarely do we feel like this is one of those moments in the moment. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those moments. I think that if we're not incompetent, that every episode after this will feel at least slightly different. And the you'll be able to look back at our second 300 episodes versus our first 300 and see a clear delineation before and after this episode. And I'm not just blowing smoke. I truly feel exposed by this, but it shows real clear paths to not doing this again. So check in after 300 episodes before you give us credit. But this feels like that moment. B, C, and A, D. And this can be like B, D, and A, D after Diane and before Diane. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so this was what I said before, which I, I think for me was one of the more important things is that um, maybe, the, maybe the speedsters can just uh, kind of uh, relate to this or at least get some understanding by listening to it. Um, but don't tune out. And for me, I felt the implication was that we're taking a break from our regularly scheduled programming to address the slow people. And then we'll, we'll get back to, to what we usually do or what matters. I said most of these things, by the way, I'm realizing. So, uh, just going to, I don't think so. Well, it doesn't matter, but <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to so go back through and I'm going to make it two list. columns and I'm going to add up our scores. <laughs> See who's the worst human. <laughs> yeah. 
Am I supposed to keep going? Yep. <laughs> um, let's see. In reality, uh, I, this is a quote. I don't know who said this. In reality, this episode speaks to all of us. The difference is you and I have the ability to make a podium in a race. Um, or as we age into the masters, we have the ability to make a podium, hopefully. And I put why hopefully because it matters. Um, and then I put it matters to slow runners too, or they wouldn't be listening. It 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 matters to all of us. That was Bracken. <laughs> I highlighted you did say I don't want to cheapen the conversation by pretending we can relate. And then proceeded to do so. Did that cheapen the conversation actually even acknowledging or trying to? No, like I I remember <laughs> one of the points where I cried I was like okay and then and then you went on to tell more stories about relating so I was like oh okay um so remember that underneath all of this Diane we're men and we're idiots just remember that is underneath (laughs) everything that is going on here there's like a root cause to our shortcomings and it's our genitalia and so just remember no. that, that that has that has, speak for yourself that has to be just an underlying understanding that we are barbarians and we're not we're, we're not always clued in so i just want to put that out there continue you know okay there's really something funny about that because when i was reading through some of this i was like you know in in all honesty i had this really I had this really warm moment when I was reading through this about both of you. And I was like, you know, it's that, it's that classic old um, men and women, especially, you know, couples where they're like, the woman has something going on. There's a great modern family episode about it. And the guy wants to fix it. And she just wants him to listen. Like he's going to swoop in and it's like, I'm going to make this better for you. And she doesn't feel heard by that. She just wants to, she just wants to be heard. And I very much in what you guys were doing, um, heard a through line of that, that it's like, we, we want to make this better for you. Here's how you can, here's how you can be slow and feel good about it. Like it felt like trying to fix that. And I think that that genuine intention of being just really good, decent men and good coaches that came through. I mean, that I, I heard that in there too. I truly did. So that's funny that you're saying that. Yeah. It's not our fault. It's we were born this way. (laughs) (laughs) Another cop out. (laughs) You were about to read a clarification on some, on your last point. And I think it was going to be good. Yeah, I just said this is not about I wrote this is not about looking to the next level of performers because you were that that whole page before which I didn't highlight was about um there's always people above us there's always and I and I was like you know this isn't about looking to the next level of performers this is about being seen and valued in a running public community that that's what the bottom line is and not running public the podcast just generally feeling feeling seen and valued for what all runners have to bring to the table. You know, when you love something so much, you can like squeeze it to death. You're like, I just love it so much. I'm going to, I'm going to smother it and I'm going to ruin it. I 
think that's what we did with our last episode. We're like, we're going to try to like really love this sector of what we thought was our audience. And instead we just like suffocated it a little bit. That's just what I'm like thinking a little bit. So continue. It's like your kid when you're like, oh, I could just. You're so cute. I could crush your skull on accident. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That sort of feeling. Yeah. Um, and, and then I wrote exactly what you guys are here doing. I said, you, you just don't do it by having a one-off episode. You do it by seeing these people and, um, and thinking about the terms like high performer, high achiever versus low performer. You include them in interviews. Um, and that's, I mean, that's what's happening. And I just put, I guarantee their stories, um, are every effing bit as interesting as just cycling through um, the names of people we recognize. Did you write effing or did you write the real word? No, I wrote the real words. I've been, as Kirk knows, I've been really good about my language on here. Yeah, you have been. You have a potty mouth, Diane? Kind of in the gym I do, don't I? In an endearing way. I'm a firm believer that if you swear out of haste, it's trash. But if you swear out of enthusiasm or in effect, it's... (laughs) It's green light, and you're a green light, light swearer, like I am. I don't. If I'm upset, I'm not going to swear because it'll lose its value. Anyways, continue. You're a green light swearer, as I call it. Okay, so this one is. Uh, we'll take ourselves out of it because it would be patronizing to say, "Hey, we get it," um, because you, and then it's because you can change because we can ch- you can change our goalposts. We'll take ourselves out of it because it would be patronizing to be like, "Hey, we get it." because you can change our goalposts and we'll find success. And I said, so the definition of success in running is a podium. That's what it felt like. Um, I can see that. The idea that we'll take ourselves out of it because we know that we can just change our goalposts and, and have success. And I was like, well, then that means success is being on a podium. Um, we have a bad working definition of success and fast. That's what's coming out to me right now. Yeah, and I think that that's really important. I mean, you know, I bear total responsibility for that on the other end. It's like, what does it mean to be slow? Like, all of this is brought up for me. It's like, stop saying that. It's like when you're when people are like, I'm busy. It's like, stop, stop saying you're busy. Like, it's not doing anything any good. And it's like the the slow thing. It's like, what does that even mean? And what is it breaking apart in me? I'm out here doing this every day. So it's like, I'm slow, but I also want you to see me as a monster. So it's like, no, no, you can't have both of those things. Stop talking about it. Um, yeah. It's really hard for us all, both sides of this coin, to overcome our background and our bias. Yeah. yeah. It's like having a conversation with someone with who's had an eating disorder. You will say a word that is totally normal and innocent to you, and it is unacceptable to them because it takes them right to a place. Yeah. And I think this goes both ways with us. You say a word that means very little to you, and for us, we interpret it strongly. Right. And we say a word that means something very personal to us, and you feel very attacked by it. Right. And it doesn't matter the intent because our reality is our reality. Yep. Yep. I agree. Um. Although I'd push back against the word attacked just because I think um, I get I'm taking that personally, but I, I truly (laughs) never felt attacked listening to this. Attacked is the wrong word then. Yeah. Um, I said, 
So this one, I actually put Bracken, I put your name. Good. You said, we're speaking to the person who has already said this isn't possible. It's not even my goal um, because it doesn't seem possible. And even if it is, it's not alluring to me. And that's again, where I just said, well, I don't think they're listening because it's not their goal. So that leaves a bunch of people uh, desiring to feel like they are part of the running community and they are, but they don't feel included and may feel relegated to the sidelines to listen to the popular people talk about what matters. Valid. Yeah. There, there, I have no response to that. That's, that's accurate. Not accurate. It's accurate. And that's what I said. And that's how that would be received. Mm-hmm. I can't believe we're doing this. Um, let's see. I, oh, I put, I think the correlation is made between High performer equals somebody who cares and is vested and puts a lot of thought into it. Um, this is when I was mad. And low performer equals somebody who needs a lot of help figuring out how to put their shoes on. That was one of the Oof. times I was mad. So, you know, you didn't feel attacked during this. Well played, Bracken. You um, saved us just a little there. <laughs> Maybe that's me being defensive. She called me out, Kurt. She wrote Bracken. Don't quote me on my bad stuff. I'm sorry. Um, what about, I just put, what about the people who deeply care and they won't be on a podium? Um, I feel like I don't get to call myself a competitive athlete. Um, and then I have, again, just highlighted high-end athlete, low-end athlete. Um. You know why this is all ironic to me is because of Lisa, my wife who found running in college to try to stay away from the freshman 15 and got snatched up onto the cross country team because of title nine. They just needed a body and a uniform. And she took last at her meets and quit running because she threw up out of anxiety each time and will not compete, but is insanely competitive. And so I think I have this great insight and perspective on the athlete who has a ton of goals, but takes last in races and uh, I don't <laughs> my own wife listen Diane and I have had oh, do you think we've exchanged a million words already via email alone I would guess a million words oh, or more I would imagine. I would say is Diane the 80 of the 80 20 communication oh she's the 80 probably yeah but but anyways and I and we've spent six years meeting twice a week and having contact daily outside of that. I still don't, obviously Uh, speaking to your wife, I could, you know, club myself in the head for this. I should, you know, been able to read between like understand things better too. So anyways, you're not alone. It's okay. We stood out on a branch that we had no right standing on. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's good to, it's good to hear. It's good. It's really good self-reflection. You know, a lot of these things are things that we already talked about. Like I had, we're the same inside, except I can't back mine up with a performance. And so where does that leave us? And I, and I think for me, that's what, you know, that was, that's just a genuinely good question. Cause I don't know, I don't know what the answer is to that on, on either end. And it's like, I think the running community at large has some culpability there and some responsibility. And then I think individual runners like me also do. It's like, it was me sitting in the car crying, realizing it's like, 
I want to be a contender and I'm a participant. And it's my job to make peace with that. It's my job to figure that out. Um, and, and maybe with help from you, Kirk, but it's like, that's, that's my job to understand how to make peace with that. Um, and so that maybe is, maybe, that might be one of my favorite things I've said here. Um, one of the big things I just put in a big square is we just don't see ourselves represented. Represented. And if you aren't represented, you don't feel like you belong. Um. This is this is interesting to me, that one point there. And you've made it several times throughout this, but I'm hesitant to even say this because it's going to sound douchey or like I'm trying to relate and I'm not. But when I think of the running community, I think of everyone without the elites included. I think the top end of the runners don't feel like they're part of the same race as everyone else. Hmm. And a lot of times when they stay after it's, I'd like to make a connection and show that I'm not douchey, or I'd like to be accepted into it rather than someone who shows up, wears too skimpy of clothing, has $300 shoes, runs fast, and then plays it off like, oh, that's just, you know, had a good race or whatever. And it's interesting that I see the running community as the masses with the elites either deciding to take part of it or not take part. And you keep having this theme come up, which is I don't feel accepted into it or I'm not with the cool kids. Whereas it seems like the cool kids are the ones that are sticking around after the race and beforehand and all know each other and go to all the same races. And half the reason they're there is because of their the crew or whoever they're with. Even inside of this own community, we have two ends of the spectrum who both feel like I'm not sure if I'm accepted right. for totally different reasons. And you're seeking validation that we don't, no, I shouldn't even say we, I'm not part of that high end, but that they don't know is even being sought because they don't think they're the ones who could give the validation and vice versa. Right. It's very interesting to me to hear this, this bit of dichotomy there. I don't think either end of the spectrum thinks the other person thinks about them. Right. Hmm. And understands that they both feel that to be at the low end of the differential of who runs this community. Like, which is true with everything. It's like the, the two ends of something, when you bring them together, it's like they're, you know, they're really right next to each other. And hmm. I mean, to me, mm-hmm. as I'm reading through this too, I mean, the, the, the takeaway for me is just, um, is, is just like all of us just asking more questions. Um, all of us just, wanting it's like I would never want to go to podcasts and never learn about pro athletes elite athletes their lives they're I mean they're they're just people they're people who have this insanely amazing talent um that just brings me to tears when I watch it in action I wouldn't want any of that to change um that's why I go to races and I'm sure I'm there to watch the elites because there's just nothing more moving to me to see people moving like that. I absolutely love it. And, and then how do we also just understand that there's, there's value in, in kind of, I hate to use the word levels, um, but there's value in all levels of it. And, and that it's, it's just important to recognize that. And I just, haven't seen as much as that as, as I would hope to. And then also mm-hmm. recognizing there's, there's probably a sensitivity and an insecurity here that needs to be owned too. You know, it's like everything it's messy. It's nuanced. Yep. It's not black and white. 
How many pages do you have left? I don't know. I I'm just don't think there's really anything more that. Um... Well, let's start on the compliment column now. What did you highlight for that? <laughs> I hope I've complimented you. <laughs> I'm just joking. Uh, All right. <clears throat> Go for it. Go ahead. No, like I said, I get Diane. I get Diane all the time. So this is your time, Bracken, with Diane. So we have a lot to work on on our end. We understand that. We have some things that are becoming real apparent. Like representation is not is not uh, equal right now. We we get that, uh, and and that's not brushing over it to get to this next thing. But uh, interesting that I think maybe people that you would consider like you will have things that they'll come out of this and realize, I think I had some preconceived notions too. Like, we sat down here to learn and we, we are in that process is beginning, but I wonder how many of your own stances you're going to illuminate and other people that they're going to think, I didn't think about that either. People that would have considered themselves in your boat. Like, what do you mean? Like, for example, well, for example, I wonder how many times someone's got to the end of a race and watched the race winner how awkward and nervous they look after the handshakes and congratulations are done and they're not sure where they're supposed to go uh-huh. before they're before the awards if they don't have family there how awkward and uncomfortable some of these people feel because they understand that they're apart in some way and they don't know as many people there and they stand around watch, watch them at a race sometimes if they don't have their people there they do not integrate well into the the ranks it, it, I don't know if, if, if you've ever watched or noticed that. Th- this is not me saying like, thanks for coming on. I'll go work on this. But I think both sides are going to leave thinking, I never thought that piece about the other side. For sure. And I think that that's, that's that, you know, I think, again, that's that thing where it's like, there is, you know, what I heard in this and and what I've been feeling, there's some, there's some really deep truths in it. And there's also that, like I, like I've said, it's like that need to recognize, um, you know, the, the kind of the insecurity and, and to make peace with where, where I am in the pack. It's like part of, part of this is that piece is making, making peace with that, um, that participant piece, you know, and, um, and at the same time, not, not giving up the dreams and being able to um, be happy for other people and what, what they can do, what they can accomplish. Like it's, it's that whole package of things that, that for sure, there's something, there's something to learn on my end as well. That is not at all my purpose of saying any of that, but it's just, (laughs) it's interesting that I have felt so awkward at some finish lines. And you're sitting here thinking, I want, I wonder if I'm welcome here. And I'm thinking, right. if I get back in my car right now, cause I've got kids at home, is that, is that, am I being an ass? Right. Or like, if I give this someone a water that they're sitting on the ground, is that patronizing? Wow. There's not one thing that we can do to put ourselves in the other shoes other than to listen to that person a lot. And we right. haven't given enough opportunities to listen. And, and you know, what's cool Bracken is I've, it, it'd be cool if, if people, in in your position and elite runners would if they talked about that i've never considered that i have never ever ever considered that and that's you know that's on me look at any of the spartan race live broadcasts and 
in a blowout race when somebody crosses the finish line they don't they're just looking for anybody to like talk to them so they don't feel like a loser they're by themselves in the in open finish mm-hmm. shoot it's an awkward thing that's why half of them lay on the ground and half pretend to be completely demolished because what's their option stand yeah. there and look like an idiot where the camera can see their face for example no they're laying on the ground so they can get away they can get away from the attention right. they don't know where to hey, go with it i didn't do well and there's no one waiting for me here that's that's a that's a really 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 good point that's a really really good point um it's not really a point but it's just like it's it's just like the more we think we know, the less we understand. And it's just like one of those things where, I, you know, are we going to understand it all? Probably not. Right. But we're trying and that's what's important. Yeah. Right. Right. And I would hope the point of this whole conversation is just expansion, like and and for everybody involved. Yeah, we should start just getting the next person off this. So, Diane, after this, you should just message us one person you think we need to hear speak. Ooh. And then they can refer to the next one. And maybe that's our crowdsourcing of these people that like, what do you, what hashtag do you search on Instagram to find someone who fits the bill for this? Right. We don't know, but the people around them know. Maybe that's the route we take. I like that approach. And Diane probably has a long list because she, uh, she's studied, we'll call it. She digs into, (laughs) into information. So be careful what you wish for. We might have a list of 30. We have to figure it out. (laughs) It's a compliment to you as a student, Diane. Um, we have a snowstorm here, which means my commute to work is going to be longer than normal potentially. So um, let's wrap this up. This has been uh, illuminating from somebody that I've known for six and a half years. It makes this way more meaningful and impactful for me, considering, you know, it was right under my nose and I was, you know, and still too close to it to see it. So thank you. Um, where can people, you have a blog. Um, can you just tell people where they can find your work and all of, of that sort of stuff if they so choose? Uh, sure. The blog is one word, no limits blog.net. And I'm sort of on Instagram. It's diane.m.miller. That's it. Bracken likes to ask a version of this question, but there's, is there anything else that people need to hear? Any other thoughts you have about all of this? Or do you feel like you got it all out. No, all I have to say is I was incredibly uncomfortable for like the last 10 minutes. And <laughs> I just, I just, I, I hope it's all taken in the spirit intended because it's, it's just not my nature really to, to speak out about this. And yet um, it, you know, I obviously didn't think it was going to go any further than the gym. So it was, it was just kind of me reaching out to Kirk saying, Hey, I, I want to tell you about this. Surprise. No, I think we've made it clear. We appreciate this. And things that come from a place of love receive grace. You know, and that's what we would hope is that people understand when we've misstepped, it's generally out of passion. Right. Not out of intent. And we understand that you have enough love for this this process that you're willing to make yourself uncomfortable for it. So no, we we, we have nothing but appreciation for this. And hopefully we can we can return that with a better product, with a better podcast, with a better community. Well, and I have nothing about appreciation for you, for you guys and the Running Public podcast. I just I've been all in from day one, and I love it. And I certainly hope that that came across that I 
how much I love it, how much I appreciate both of you, how generous I think both of you are and how much integrity I think is just woven through the whole thing. That feels like a really nice spot to end for us. <laughs> Thank you, Diane. Well, you're going to make people happy. I think the single most repeated request or negative comment we get is, when are you going to have more people like me? Mm-hmm. When are you going to have more every day? When are you going to have more, as you probably have called out using the term poorly, but back of the Packers? It's the single most requested comment we get. So you're not on an island here. Okay. You're, you will make people happy with with your feedback, with your list at the end. A lot of people are going to feel hurt off that. Okay. Thank you for your time. You might have just set a record for the longest podcast, so you should be proud of yourself. <laughs> Leave it to Diane to draw, you know, lengthen whatever it is if it's an email or a podcast. <laughs> and Thank you, Diane. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you.